You know, it's all too common for political and spiritual leaders to misuse their power, to take advantage of others and to operate out of selfishness and greed. And this is the climate that, that we live in, and it was the climate of Jesus' day as well. In John 10, the good shepherd is on the scene, and when he lifts his voice, it's as controversial as it is comforting. Now, when you hear the word, when you hear the phrase, good shepherd, don't think cute, cuddly Jesus of storybooks. This imagery, this language is rooted in prophetic promises of a shepherd king who will repair the damage caused by failed leaders and go on to lead his sheep into the security and provision that they long for. And so with that in mind, let's look at John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We'll pause there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And we ask that you would by your spirit work in our hearts today through your word. Help us to receive all that you would have for us. Your word is alive and active. Lord, your word is is disarming. Your word is comforting. Your word brings life and renewal. Father, I pray that it would do all those things and more in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, three points for us this morning, church. One, 
the difference between true and false shepherds. Two, Jesus' controversial and comforting claim. Three, the shepherd king lifts his voice. The difference between true and false shepherds. At the end of John chapter 9, Jesus exposes the spiritual blindness of Israel's religious leaders. These are Israel's shepherds, those who are supposed to be spiritually guiding the nation in righteousness and truth. But instead, they're unwilling to own up to their own sin. They're unwilling to receive what Jesus has to say about himself. And so here in chapter 10, Jesus launches into a story about shepherds and sheep. It's imagery that his audience would have been extremely familiar with. He talks about the one who jumps over the wall or the fence. This one is not a true shepherd. No, 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 he's a thief. But the shepherd, Jesus says, walks right up to the gate, and the gatekeeper opens it up. He, he knows who the shepherd is, and the sheep know him too. They know his voice. He calls the sheep by name, and he leads them out. Have you ever seen this? I looked it up on YouTube this week. I've seen it before, but it's, it's fascinating. Where the shepherd, uh, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. You can call out to these sheep hanging out in a field, and, and they won't respond to you, but the shepherd stands up, and he, he, he makes his call, and they know the cadence of his voice. They know the sound of his voice. And it might be a song. It might be a little rhythmic uh, thing that he does. Uh, they, they, they perk up, and they come to him. They follow their shepherd. The sheep know the voice of their shepherd. They follow it. We're learning the difference here between true and false shepherds. Jesus says he calls them by name and he leads them out. The true shepherd calls them by name and he leads them out. Have you ever been able to instantly recognize the voice of a loved one in the midst of a noisy crowd? I mean, this happened to me a couple weeks ago when my youngest son, Silas, was crying. And I was talking to someone. I was in the middle of a conversation. There was all kinds of noise in between first and second gathering, people just hanging out, having a good time. And I heard a lot of things going on, but I heard the cry of Silas, and it cut through all the noise. And I was like a dog who heard a, saw a squirrel. You know, I'm like, what's that? What's going on? And I'm looking for my wife. I'm looking for my older sons. Do they have him? What's, and and um, sure enough, there he was crying. And I, I went to him. But, but I heard his voice. It cut through all the noise. And then when I found him, I spoke to him words of comfort that cut through his fear and anxiety. That's the idea here. Shepherds spend hours with their sheep. They know their sheep. They know the individual characteristics of their sheep, the markings of each one, their personalities, their tendencies. And the sheep know his voice. They listen for that one voice that matters. It cuts through the noise. And that should be the posture of our hearts, of our lives, when it comes to the voice of Jesus. Whose voice are you hearing? Whose voice matters most to you? In life, how do you hear the voice of of Christ? Well, we're hearing through the Word of God the voice of Christ, right? But also, are are we are we leaning in? Are we are we leaning into the Scriptures and and daily going to the Word to hear His voice? 
Are we allowing his voice to cut through the noise, to cut through the anxiety, to cut through the fear? There are so many voices coming at us every single day. And so again, why is Jesus using the imagery of of shepherding and, and sheep? Well, in the Old Testament, God referred to himself as the shepherd of Israel. You might be familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? Well, I want to also direct you to some other passages that help us see that that God himself refers to himself as a shepherd, shepherd of, of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 40, begins in verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him. And his recompense or his justice is before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his his bosom, his chest, and gently lead those that are, 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 are with young. And so here the Lord is referred to as a shepherd. And then shepherding, it became imagery that helped describe leadership among God's people. Moses was a shepherd. David, King David, was a shepherd. Unfaithful kings of old were identified in Scripture, are identified in Scripture as false shepherds. And then later in John 10, we'll see that this all took place, everything that Jesus is speaking. It it took place during the Feast of Dedication, which is a time when questions were asked about failed leadership or false shepherds. The synagogues were reading passages like the one I just read in Isaiah 40, and like Ezekiel 34. Turn to Ezekiel 34. Here we have an accusation against the shepherds of Israel, the rulers or the leaders of Israel, political and spiritual. There's an accusation here in Ezekiel 34 of gross misconduct, injustice, ongoing neglect and abuse, They abandoned their responsibility. They abused their power and authority. Does this sound familiar? And so there's a strong echo of Ezekiel 34 in the imagery that Jesus is leaning on. Let's read it. Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 1. We'll read through verse 6. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they, become, they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Many people, maybe you, have been the victim of this kind of leadership. If so, I'm sorry. Ezekiel 34 will continue. Verses 11 through 16, God steps in. Look what he says. He says, I myself will search for my sheep 
I will seek them out. I will rescue them. I will bring them out. I will feed them. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. So God steps in as shepherd. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. In other words, God is saying, look, I'll be your shepherd. Enough with these corrupt shepherds, these failed shepherds. I'm going to personally do something about the injustice, the corruption, the oppression that you're under. We're learning so much about the character of God in this passage. Oppression, injustice, corruption, it matters to him. He doesn't turn a blind eye to it. He doesn't ignore it. He sees it. How's he going to do this? What is God going to do? Ezekiel 34, verses 23 and 24, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, Yahweh, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince or leader, ruler among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. How is God going to do this? He's going to do it through his divinely appointed shepherd king. And that is who Jesus understands himself to be. In Ezekiel 34, God refers to himself as shepherd. But then he talks about King David, who's long gone. He's dead as shepherd. Well, we know the promises of old, if you've studied the Old Testament, that one in the line of King David will come, a Messiah, an anointed one, a ruler, who will deliver God's people, an anointed one, a king. And so here, this only makes sense for the answer to be Jesus, who is the shepherd king. And that's who Jesus understands himself to be. Now, the religious leaders don't get this parable, this story that Jesus is communicating in the first uh, few verses of John 10. They aren't connecting the dots just yet, but Jesus helps them connect the dots, and that's point two, Jesus' controversial and comforting claim. Now, this is the last public sermon that we have of Jesus, at least in the Gospel of John. And he says, truly, truly, in other words, listen closely to what I'm saying here. And Jesus makes two claims. He claims, I am the door or the gate of the sheep, and I am the good shepherd. And so Jesus is presenting himself as that promised shepherd king and presenting his disciples, those who obey him and follow him as his sheep. That's what he's doing here. John chapter 10, verse 7, he says he's the door of the sheep. What's he talking about? Well, sheep are in desperate need of safety and, and protection. They're very vulnerable animals. From the elements, from predators and thieves, from getting lost, they're helpless. And it's the practice, or was the practice, uh, in, in ancient Middle Eastern Um, culture for shepherds to actually put the sheep, especially at night, in a a sheep pen uh, 
an area of uh, where there was low-lying, a low-lying rock wall on, in particular, three different sides, maybe with thorn bushes on top, and then the shepherd himself would lay across the opening at night. The shepherd himself would ensure the protection and provision of the flock. It's beautiful imagery. And so it's a function of the good shepherd. And so though Jesus is making two claims, I am, I am the door and I am the good shepherd, it's really one claim that has a function. The good shepherd, he is also the door. He lays down at that entrance. Now the promise that comes with Jesus, his claim here, is that those who enter by me, Jesus says, will be saved. Now that's a word that needs defining. Saved? What's it mean to be saved? Those who enter by me, Jesus says, will be made whole, will find protection, will be preserved and safe. That's what Jesus is saying. And they will go in and out and find pasture. This communicates freedom, in and out. You can find pasture, provision. It's a way of life. It's a lifestyle that's being presented here that's found in Christ Jesus. Now, I read this week that James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James um, and led the early church, was asked to answer this question just before he died, just before he was martyred. He was brought to the top of the temple And he was asked, what is the gate of Jesus? What is the gate of Jesus? And and his accusers, those who were in opposition against him, I I believe were leaning on Jesus' teaching right here. What is the gate of Jesus? And then as soon as he answered, he was thrown off the temple. And he did not die. Immediately, they actually then stoned him to death. So the last question that the half-brother of Jesus is answering revolves around what Jesus is preaching right here. It's important stuff. He is the gate. He is the door through which we must enter to find safety, renewal, wholeness, protection. Verse 10 exposes the intentions of the thief. The thief comes, Jesus says, to steal, to kill, and destroy. Now, in contrast, Jesus came his mission, the reason he took on the stuff we're made of, right? The reason he stepped into space and time was to bring life, is what Jesus is saying, was to bring abundant life, which is full to overflowing life, this exceedingly above, beyond measure, beyond what you can imagine type life. And the New Testament authors understood that this is the kind of life that's found in Christ Jesus. And it's written all over the pages of the New Testament, the epistles in particular, the letters to the churches. I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, just an example of this abundant life that's just spilling off the pages of the New Testament. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He goes on. It just, it just, it's just fallen off the page. He, has, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us. He adopted us. In him we have redemption. He's made known to us the mystery of his will 
In him we have obtained an inheritance. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Abundant life. Life that is only found in Jesus. Verse 11, Jesus says he's the good shepherd. Good shepherd. He begins with characteristics of the good shepherd. And the primary characteristic that he gives us is that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I love this. Actually, it's repeated five times in three verses that the the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so there's no misuse of power here. There's no taking advantage of others. There's no selfishness and greed. It's the kind of leadership we long for, isn't it? Instead, he promises safety, provision, guidance, freedom. All of it's rooted in self-giving, sacrificial love. He lays down his life for the sheep. And so he compares this to the hired hand who doesn't own the sheep. He sees the threat coming. He sees the wolf, and he books it. Man, he's out. The wolf snatches some and scatters all. I've seen this happen again and again in local churches like ours. Beautiful communities where the wolf comes in, snatches some, and scatters all. The faithful shepherd runs to the threat, runs right to the threat, and takes it out. Pastor means shepherd. That's what I'm called to be. That's what your pastoral team is called to be. Shepherds. I know that makes you sheep, and I don't know how you feel about that. but I'm I'm there with you. I'm a shepherd sheep. There's never been a stronger, more courageous, or faithful, self-giving shepherd, though, than Jesus. I want to direct our attention to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. This is coming from Peter. So I exhort the elders, the pastors, among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. You see, Peter understood that he had abundant life in Christ Jesus. He also understood himself as a fellow elder. He says this to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's my call. It's my responsibility. And that of your eldership team. This is how we're called to lead, shepherd, pastor, And when the chief shepherd appears, that's what he says. And when the chief shepherd appears. I read this and I'm reminded, hey, Darren, you're not the chief shepherd. You have a shepherd. We have a chief shepherd and his name is Jesus. When he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So work towards that, pastor, shepherd. That's what Peter is saying. Back to John 10. 
Verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. And then he goes on to make this radical comparison with the relational intimacy that he shares with the Father. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy good. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. He says, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Do you see this? He compares the kind of intimate, personal, relational intimacy that we share. He compares it with that of the relational intimacy that he has with the Father. It's mind-blowing, really. When Jesus talks about laying down his life for the sheep, he talks about doing this willingly, gladly, freely, voluntarily. No one makes him do it, if you notice. And he has the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. And this is exactly what Jesus will do. Just a, a few short months from this scene, he will willingly lay down his life by going to the cross. Voluntarily. And he'll do it for you and me. Good shepherd. Good shepherd. Good also can mean better or beautiful beautiful shepherd. I like that. It describes Jesus's behavior and actions. It's a beauty that draws us in, doesn't it? He is the beautiful shepherd. And in the middle of describing the kind of commitment, the kind of beautiful commitment that Jesus has for his sheep, he can't help but mention that he has other sheep that aren't of this fold, he says in verse 16. And Jesus is fiercely committed to bringing in those sheep as well. He says, they will listen to my voice. Who are these sheep? The Gentiles. Non-Jews. The nations. These other sheep. Are you and me? It's us. If you remember in John chapter 10, verse 9, he says, look, if anyone... I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Anyone. The invitation is out there for anyone to experience this abundant life that is only found in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness of sins. Reconciliation with God the Father. Relational intimacy with the living God. It's what we were made for. And it's open to you, to anyone, to the nations. How is the good shepherd going to reach those who are part of this other fold? How is the good shepherd going to reach those who are part of this other fold here in St. Pete? He's going to do it through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, through us, through us. And so Jesus understood that covenant promises that were given to Abraham in Genesis 12 were being fulfilled. He understood that there was this, this greater plan than simply Israel uh, finding redemption and healing and salvation in Christ Jesus, that it was for the nations. Jesus understood this. And he was fiercely committed to bringing this, these sheep in as well. Now imagine for a moment that all of this, you're hearing all of this, Imagine if, if you were there among the religious leaders 
and other Jews there, and you're hearing Jesus speak this way about himself. Imagine the controversy. But for some, imagine the comfort. As we see here in verses 19 through 21, the, the conclusion that they arrive at, oh, you definitely have a demon. Oh, you are officially insane. You're bonkers. But others are still in awe over the healing of the man born blind. What are some common reactions that you've experienced to Jesus here in St. Pete? We can't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of people's reactions to Jesus. They're simply reactions. Sometimes it's just a knee-jerk reaction because they've not really understood or considered the truth of who Jesus is. I spoke with someone recently, just this last week, who would consider himself spiritual. So many people in our city consider themselves spiritual. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, wh- well what do you believe? Because what he believes is no threat to the truth and the beauty of who Jesus is. So let me hear it. What do you believe? Well, we talked about Confucius. We talked about Buddhism. And then it just opened up this opportunity for me to share Jesus with him. We have nothing to fear. But we have so much to offer. Finally, number three, the shepherd king lifts his voice. So let's pick back up. John 10. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, come on, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now the Jews picked up stones again to stone him, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John the Baptist had been baptizing at first. And there he remained, and many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. The shepherd king lifts his voice. Verse 22, all of this is happening during the Feast of Dedication. This is just a few months after the Feast of Tabernacles, which we talked about over the last few weeks. Dedications, or Hanukkah, maybe you've heard of that. Hanukkah, it's Hebrew for dedication. 
It's an eight-day celebration commemorating the recovery of Jerusalem in 164 BC from the ancient Greeks and the rededication of the temple and its altar after it had been desecrated, a very important holiday. The Maccabean revolt where Judas or Judah Maccabee led the nation in a miraculous way um, and, and after that deliverance, their family reigned for 100 years in, in Jerusalem. And so this was a time when questions were asked about failed leadership and false shepherds. And it was during this feast that nationalistic pride and messianic expectations were like at an all-time high. And so they find Jesus at the temple during this time. And they say, how long? How long will you keep us in suspense? How long are you going to mess with us? If you're the Christ, if you're the king, if you're the anointed one, come on, tell us straight up. Because this is, after all, about authority and power and rule. And he says, I, I did tell you. I did tell you that I'm the Christ. My works bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. The shepherd king is lifting his voice here. The shepherd king goes on in verses 27 through 28, essentially to say, look, my sheep will be safe forever. I'll look after them. I'm holding on to them, and so is the Father. They are in my hand and in his. Even death itself won't have the last word over them. Powerful. Verse 28, he says, no one will snatch them or take them by force out of my hand. It's impossible. No one will take them out of my Father's hand. Not my hand or my Father's hand. And here's the guarantee. The guarantee that this won't happen is found in verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now stay with me. This is so powerful. This backs up everything Jesus has been saying. The security, the provision, the guidance, and the freedom, everything that Jesus is providing for his sheep is rooted in the Father's strength and the Father's decision. And the Father and Son's union and, and self-giving sacrificial love that, that exists between them this unbreakable bond of love that the Father and Son share. That's where our security is found. Not in how we feel on any given day, but in the strength of the Father and in that love relationship between Father and Son. They knew what Jesus was doing here. He was making himself God. He's not an aspect of God when he says these things. He's not a part of God, but one in essence. And they, they knew that. They picked up stones to, to stone him, to kill him for blasphemy. And then Jesus uses this text to defend what he's doing. It's a text that, like, we all wish he didn't use. It's so confusing. <laughs> Psalm 82, verse 6. I'm joking. All right, so... Not really. Okay, so uh, he says, I said you are gods, lowercase g. It's a difficult passage to back up his argument for us. But here's what I think he's arguing. I think he's arguing from lesser to greater. Now, I think this is what he's getting at. If human judges, 
if corrupt leaders who received the divine law, the commandments that came through Moses, if they can in some ways be called gods or sons of God in light of their role as representative of God, then what's wrong with my claim today? That's what Jesus is saying. At least I believe that's what he's saying. He's not saying that we are many gods. It's not what he's saying. This has something to do with the corrupt leadership and judges of Israel. Jesus is the door to good pasture and abundant life. He's the only door. He is the good shepherd who calls you by name and who laid down his life for your sake. Jesus is the shepherd king who lifts his voice today through John chapter 10. Can you hear it? He's come to restore, he's come to protect, he's come to provide, he's come to save. He rules, and his leadership, his rule is rooted in self-giving, sacrificial love, which he has demonstrated on the cross for you and me. There's no misuse of power here in Jesus. There's no taking advantage of others. There's no selfishness and greed. It's the kind of leadership that we long for. And there's, look, there's a whole lot of noise out there There's a lot of voices coming at us, but this is the voice that matters most. His voice. Do you hear it? Is it cutting through every fear? Is it cutting through every doubt? Is it cutting through every opposition against it? It rises. It rises above death itself. Death couldn't keep this voice quiet. As we close, I want you to consider what Jesus says in John 10, verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. So incredibly controversial. And so incredibly comforting. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our shepherd king, the one who rules and reigns supreme, our good shepherd. You lead in in humility. The primary characteristic that you've shown us is that you, you are willing to lay down your life for us, your sheep. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who has been hurt by by shepherds, by leaders, that you bring comfort and grace and healing and that the truth of who you are and how you lead would renew their vision for what it means to be a part of your people. Lord, thank you for the provision that's laid out for all of us. Lord, help us to hold on to the promises that we find here in John 10 to hold on to the claims, the reality of who you are, and the promises that come from that. Jesus, would you grow us in our awe of the way you have chosen to lead us? Would you humble us and would we respond with worship, a life of surrender? We want to follow you. You're our faithful shepherd king. Amen.